بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا فما بعده My brother and sisters, interestingly, uh, I mentioned, I said to you a couple of things I forgot to mention. One of them was that, especially for those of us who are interested in interfaith work and so on and so forth, and, you know, we have uh, an open masjid policy. Anyone can come into our masjid and see um, how we worship and so on and so forth. Now, you might want to do the same thing with the Amish people and say, well, you know, I would like to um, come and participate in your worship, meaning just come and sit there and see what goes on. Uh-uh, won't happen because it's part of the Amish rules that the Amish worship only with the Amish. They do not permit anyone else to be in their worship, not as spectators, not as participants. Unless you are Amish, you cannot be in that worship hall. Um, So that's a, I mean, you might say, well, you know, it's unfriendly, whatnot. Well, be that as it may, fact is, this is the life. Another very important thing, yesterday, as I mentioned to you, they have no churches. The worship is in individual homes. Another interesting fact connected with this is that they are not evangelical. They do not proselytize. They do not do tabliq. They do not promote their religion. Um, They don't talk to anyone about their religion, their own. Now, having said all of this, as I said, we come to the question, how is this possible? How does it happen? In my view, it happens for one good reason. And that reason is that they believe completely and totally and absolutely in the truth of what they do and they practice it themselves and they do not change for anybody else and so the world accepts them and the world changes for them now this is not simply an opinion this is my uh, assessment and understanding of my study of history one of the examples I've, i've always given for many years is the dress code of the British in India. There are these very, very good pencil sketches and also paintings uh, done by British civil servants, British IAS, Indian Administrative Service, um, officers and uh, others of their tours in India and they did paintings, I mean these uh, drawings of many things of uh, flora and fauna, of landscapes, of people and among those they did uh, drawings of the British officer himself and you find them in wearing um, suits Uh, solar topis when they were outside um, sitting down to eat lunch and dinner properly clothed meaning that they were you know shirts and ties and uh, in some cases even jackets Um, we know from also history that 
at least for a century, uh, these uh, clothes were made of wool or tweed, which is uh, also a uh, byproduct of wool. Now, in a climate like India, uh, these clothes were completely unsuited, definitely in terms of their uh, in terms of their uh, material. <coughs> they were not attractive, given especially that Indian textile and Indian clothing design for millennia, not just centuries, is among the finest in the world. The most beautiful textiles, the greatest variety of linens and cottons and silk, and the most beautiful designs. The Mughal court and Mughal court inspired dressing, uh, which inspired all the uh, other Indian courts of the time. You see the pictures of uh, all the Rajput and Sikh kings of the time. They all look like uh, the Shaykh al-Haram. Big turbans, big beards and uh, flowing robes. The, uh, the Arab Mishla, which is the robe that comes over the thobe, is a Mughal court dress. It is not an Arab dress. Rasulullah and the Sahaba did not wear Mishla. They didn't wear those things. They were working people. They wore clothes which were the closest of that is what the Afghans wear today, which is the shalwar and the kameez which comes down below the knee. The shalwar is above the ankle, <coughs> which is the working man's dress. <coughs> Rasulullah and the Sahaba they wore turbans, but they did not wear the long thobes and the mishla, uh, especially like the Saudis wear it with uh, one hand permanently engaged in uh, keeping the mishla up. They, they, they put their arm only through one uh, sleeve and the other sleeve is, <clears throat> and the mishla is held up by the other hand. So one, the usually the left uh, hand is uh, permanently engaged in keeping it up. And then they have the Ghotra and the Shimakh, uh, the head uh, dress, uh, which again is a, a source of constant uh, uh, interest and engagement for them, which needs adjustment after adjustment. It's not like the turban, once you tie it, you're done. <clears throat> this is the dress that the uh, Sikh Guru, Guru Nanak, took from the Muslims. Uh, he was a devotee of Baba Fari Shakarganj Rahmatullahi. He was born about a hundred years after him, but he was a devotee of his. And Baba Fari Shakarganj Rahmatullahi, for those of you who are interested, he is the one who made Punjabi into a proper language. Until then, it was a dialect. It had no script and it, it had no literature. Baba Fari Shakarganj Rahmatullahi was the first one to actually write Punjabi literature in Punjabi in uh, the Gurmukhi script, which is part of the Devanagari scripts. And he wrote poetry and he wrote uh, his hikayat, his uh, teachings and his uh, words of advice. And Guru Nanak took a lot of that into his Guru Granth Sahib, 
which is the holy book of the Sikhs. So the Sikhs, uh, in as part of their worship, they recite the Ash'ar, uh, the poetry of uh, Baba Farid Rahmatullahi, Baba Farid Chakarganj Rahmatullahi. Now, I'm, this is all not random stuff that I'm telling you. The point I'm making here is, what is the commonality between all of these things? The commonality is that you had a group of people, whether it is the Amish today, whether it is the British uh, as colonial rulers, whether it was the Mughals as the, the rulers of the time, um, whether it was uh, whoever, the Muslims in their ruling positions. <clears throat> you had people who were true to themselves, who were true to their religion, who were true to their culture, who were true to the way they dressed and what they ate and their behavior and their norms, and the world followed them. Therefore, what must we do today? Today we have this whole thing, especially in schools, colleges, universities, be normal, be normal. And you have the other group of people who say we can never be normal. Because we are Muslim, we can never be normal. I say, redefine what is normal. Redefine what is normal. So I don't say we cannot be normal. I say we are normal. Our way is the normal way because our way is based on the fitra of the human being. It's based on the nature of the human being as created by its creator. And this fitra, the nature of the human being is that a human being is not an animal. It is not somebody who has no dignity. So my point always is that we have two choices. One is we say that we will be, we will not be like the normal or we will never be normal or we say we are normal and whoever else who goes against what we stand for is the one who is not normal now it's not a matter of semantics because the reality of life is the one who owns the language owns the debate the one who owns the language owns the debate and that's why it's very important I'm not a linguist, but linguistics is also a very deep interest of mine. Just think of this. Why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala use the word abd for his creatures, for human beings? We very easily translate that in, in English thanks to our being apologetic as servant. And we say servant of Allah. The Arabic word for servant is khadim, and Allah knows the word khadim. So why did Allah not call us khuddamullah or khadimullah? Why did he say abdullah, ibadullah, amatullah? Because there is a very significant difference between an abd and a khadim, between a slave and a servant. Slavery to human beings in Islam is not permitted. You are not allowed to subject yourself to another person, another human being, as his or her slave. The only slaves in Islam were people in those days, in the medieval and the ancient times, who were taken 
in battle and enslaved. So this was forcibly forced on them. Uh, you are, it is haram in Islam to make a free person into a slave. It is one of the one of the most heinous crimes to take a free person and make them into a slave. So slaves were soldiers who were captured in battle, and in those days they, they didn't put them in prisons. They made they, they enslaved them. So they made them they made them slaves. But Islam doesn't promote slavery. The only slavery in Islam within quotes is to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, to our uh, Creator. Now, what is the most significant difference between a slave and a servant? A slave is one whose will is the same as the will of his master. A servant is legally permitted to have another will. For example, the master says, this is the right way. The, the servant has the right to say, I don't agree with you. It is not the right way, but I will still do it because you're paying me a salary. A servant enters employment by his own will and he or she can leave that employment by their own will. They can resign and go home. A slave does not enter slavery by his own will and the slave cannot leave by his own will. The slave is a slave until the master decides to free him. Now this is the essence of Islam which is we are the slaves of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alhamdulillah. This is the greatest honor that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bestowed upon the human beings and upon the one he loved the most, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam where he called him Abdi, my slave. He didn't call him Khadimi. He did not say my servant. He said Abdi, my slave. Subhanallah, the asrabi abdihi laylam min al-masjid al-haram ila al-masjid al-aqsa. Allah said, all glory and majesty and, um, and purity uh, is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All perfection is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All perfection is for the one who took his slave. And by that is meant Muhammad sallallahu from Masjid al-Haram to Masjid al-Aqsa. And this refers to the, this is the first ayat of Surah Bani Israel, Surah, Surah al-Isra, and refers to the, uh, the journey of Isra al-Miraj. Redefine normalcy rest of it tomorrow wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam